episode 38 of the build. We're in our Nikita Sherback era. Our Mark Denis period. And in between those two players, in the chronological history of the Canadians wearing the number 38, you'll probably never guess who wore that number in between Mark Denis and Nikita Sherback. He wore it for three games in 2015. I'll give you a second. It's Drayson Bowman. In the in the, the history of remembering guys, that is like peak guy. Um, sorry, there's been such a long delay between episodes recently. It's just I've been in a, a very um, important uh, transition period in my life between jobs and trying to figure all that out. And oftentimes I find that when I'm not at work, when I'm not doing something. Um, you know, during normal business hours, I typically just, uh, my brain just decides there is no schedule anymore and I just end up doing nothing. Um, it seems counterintuitive that, you know, when I'm busier, I can get more done, but that's just the way my brain works and I can't, uh, change that. So hopefully more regular uploads are on the way now as I've started my new position. Um, the good news is that since the, my last episode, not a lot has happened. And that's sort of been the case for a few weeks now, as the Canadians are kind of just in a period of getting through the remainder of the season. Um, we'll start with injury and, and roster notes, because that's sort of where everything starts and ends with the Canadians at the moment. Um, so new faces added to our injury list. Um Chris Weidman, not practicing. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later. But he, you know, he's rarely playing anyway. He comes in and gets hurt. Things happen. Um, Arbor Jacka is out indefinitely. Canadians are calling this an upper body injury, but I don't think that we you need to be a doctor to deduce that something is wrong with his arm, most likely his shoulder. Um, he injured it in a fight. It looks like he's done for the year. Um, but the Canadians are conducting medical tests. You know, if I had to guess, they're, they're trying to rule out surgery as an option to see if potentially he can, you know, not do a certain medical procedure and still have it heal properly. We're waiting to see. Um, at any rate, it's a tough ending to a pretty decent year for Arbor Jacka. He made tremendous strides in the right direction as a rookie undrafted uh, defenseman playing in his first professional season. Um I'm really curious to see how he continues to grow on a very, you know, soon-to-be crowded blue line for the Canadians with the, the, the young defensemen who are already here, like Gooley and Barron and Harris. Matheson's going to be here for a while longer. And you've got the likes of, you know, he's not so much in the news anymore, but Norlinder, um, Engstrom. Um, there, are, there are other, uh, Lane Hudson, of course. There are parts on this roster that might force some movement on the back end. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he's able to, um, you know, advance his game forward in a way that, that makes it so he is um, inexpendable for the Canadians, that they need to keep Arbor Jack high. Um, more positive news, Caden Gooley's practicing again. Um, it would be nice to see him play again this season, so that's great news. There's no timetable for his return. He was in a non-contact jersey. Um, on Monday morning, so we will see how that progresses. Um, not practicing Monday um, and, and Tuesday, I believe, of the morning skate ahead of the game against the New Jersey Devils. 
where Kirby Doc, Sean Monahan, and Chris Weidman, they were each receiving treatment. Um, Monahan traveled with the team to continue receiving treatment, so there's no real surprise there. They kind of set that expectation that, yes, he's going to travel, but he's not going to play. Um, Kirby Doc had a non-COVID illness, and that's been keeping him out of the lineup, so it's unclear whether that treatment was for the illness or the injury that he's had since about the end of January. Um, at any rate, he also didn't practice on Tuesday morning, so he will be out against the Devils again. Um, no idea what's bugging Weidman, but the Canadians, you know, even with the injury to, to Jacki and now Weidman, they still have enough on defense to, to, to play with Corey Shinneman being called up. Um, so the injuries and, and just the, um, the way that the team has been playing as of late, which is not particularly well since their last, you know, little three-game win streak, they've lost two straight in which they kind of were outplayed by their opposition. Um, there's some new lines being developed. Hoffman, Jonathan Dre, and uh, Yoel Armia um, are a line. <laughs> I imagine it's probably their second line. Um, Dodonov, Dvorak, and Pitlick being their third line. Um, I, I don't really know what to make of e either of those lines. Dodonov's been playing a little bit better as of late, but he seems more active. Um, I don't really know if there's a ton of trade interest in him because of how the, the, the rest of the season has gone. Um, and we'll get into more of like, you know, the Canadians trade deadline, um, you know, uh, preview both towards the end of this episode and in next week's episode. Um, by the time you're listening to this, you might already know how they've done how they've done, because this is going up a, a few hours before or an hour before the Canadians play the New Jersey Devils. So you tell me how they did. Um, outside of that, let's get an update on the tank. Of course, how well are the Canadians doing um, in the chase for Connor Bedard? As of Tuesday afternoon when I am recording this, the tank has really gone in a positive direction for the Canadians as of late. Um, not only are they losing games again, but the teams that they are fighting with are winning a lot of games. The Coyotes are on fire. They've closed the gap on the Canadians to just one point. They've played one more game than Montreal, but they seem like they're poised to pass the Canadians in the standings sooner rather than later. The Canucks are just two two points back with the same number of games played. The Sharks are within three points of Montreal. They have played two more games, but they're they're within striking distance. The next closest team above the Canadians is uh, St. Louis, who are five points ahead of the Canadians. They're in a bit of a fire sale, so it'll sort of be interesting to see, you know, if they are able to um, keep that lead. I can't imagine the Canadians are going to play five points better than the Blues for the remainder of the season. But all of that said, the Canadians currently find themselves in seventh last, but I think they have top five upside going into March. And I know that's funny to say because, you know, that means that they're going to play poorly. Um, but I don't I don't know if you've looked at the Habs schedule for March, but it is an absolute mess. Like, toughest remaining schedule in the NHL, according to Tankathon, mess. It starts with a California trip, something the Canadians have never been good at. At the trade deadline, they are playing the day of the trade deadline. They are playing the Anaheim Ducks that night. That has big tank implications because the the Ducks are one of the teams that the Canadians are chasing for those higher draft odds. And then they have nearly three weeks of actual murderers. Um, they go Vegas, Carolina, New York Rangers, New Jersey, Colorado, Pittsburgh, Florida, Tampa, Tampa again, Boston. They finish March with Columbus, Buffalo, Philly, and Florida. And of the six games they have in April, three of them are against Carolina, Toronto, and Boston. 
teams that are likely going to get even scarier with trade deadline acquisitions. You just, you know, if you're a Canadiens fan, you hope that they're icing their best lineups in those games. They probably won't have a ton to play for with the way that the standings have, shake, have, have shaken out. So the Canadians had their nice little three-game winning streak in February. And I think it, it, with everything playing out the way it has, I don't think it really has improved their their actual NHL standings to a point where it's ruined their tank. Because the teams below them, the Arizonas, the Vancouvers, the, the Seattles, they've kind of kept up. Um, March is such a tough month for the Canadians that I think fifth place is ultimately where the Canadians will end up. Um, perhaps they can get as low as fourth if the Sharks get real hot for some reason, but I think that I think Vancouver and, and Arizona are poised to pass the Canadians, putting them at least in fifth place. And like I said, I hope you enjoyed those three wins um, because I don't see a lot of them on the horizon for the Canadians. Um, and I know that it's there are people who are very anti-tank and there are people who are very pro-tank. I'd like to think I fall somewhere in the middle of those two probably closer, definitely closer to pro tank. Um, the, the, remember the, the, the prizes here are huge and the big prize in Connor Bedard is massive. There are some good consolation prizes in like Adam Fantelli and Leo Carlson, but those are, those are Connor Bedard is a franchise altering prize. Like this matters. I'm still a big proponent of team culture but that I I still I don't believe that gets thrown away in one season. If the if the the if the characters and the people and the ideas that they have in place are strong enough, they will last through one very bad season. Um I'm a big believer in what Hughes and Gordon have in place, which I'm going to get into in a minute or so, but I think this is the last true bottom out season for the Canadians. Um that's not to say next year I'm expecting them to chase for a playoff spot, but it's probably the last year that we're talking about them as a bottom 10 team. Um, at least, you know, with, with some level of, of um, certainty to it. This year it was obvious the Canadians were going to be a bottom 10 team. I don't know if that's as obvious next year with some of the younger players coming into this lineup, um, but we'll see. Again, I'm still a big proponent of team culture, but... Connor Bedard is a prize here that that is worth all of this anguish if you can manage to to win that that lottery again. Um, and speaking of what Gorton has in place, Eric Engels has a uh, a really nice um, look into what Jeff Gorton has wanted to build in Montreal um, since he got there. He he interviewed Gorton a little bit after he started and sort of talked about you know how the Canadians, you know they were door dashing and you know uber eats and meals for the players they didn't have skills coaching they were outsourcing their analytics department um, and they just weren't a modern nhl franchise they weren't industry leaders like they should be given the you know financial might and you know, just overall um just overall gravitas of of a team like the montreal canadians should not be acting like a, a third place team at, at any given time. They should be trying to be the number one team in every every aspect of building a team. Um, and I think it, to me, it and I think for others, it should quell a lot of fears that this front office is a carbon copy of the last. Um, 
I'll take you through a little bit of what it is, but I do. It'll be linked in the description. I would go check it out. It's it's well worth your time. Um, the article starts exactly where it should, which is with Adam Nicholas. This podcast is a big proponent of Adam Nicholas and the things that he preaches and what he wants to build in Montreal. the The things that he's trying to create, um, if successful, even I don't know, 50 percent of the time, will be massive for this team moving forward um so much of what went wrong over the last decade um started and i guess ended with a complete lack of development plans for their prospects there is always a very sink or swim sort of approach when it came to prospects where they kind of if the canadians had a need for that kind of player they brought them into the lineup and they they basically just said good luck um and as I stated, when Gorton took over, he told Eric Engels in a previous interview that the Canadians didn't have a single skills coach, um, which is just sort of, uh, it's not a very accurate, or it's not a very good way to spend a practice time just working on, you know, the same drills over and over again with the same coaches over and over again. Um, now, Adam Nicholas is creating player dashboards um, using some of SportsLogic's data to create development plans for each prospect in the Canadian system. They use Joshua Waugh, or they, Eric Engels uses Joshua Waugh as a case study for this process, as Nicholas was able to show uh, Joshua areas of his game that had fallen off, like his need to re-engage in puck battles, his need to take the inside lane more, his need to get to high danger scoring op locations more. Waugh said that not only did Nicholas give him areas in need of improvement, he provided methods to fixing those areas of his game. Nicholas and Waugh worked on this before the World Junior Tournament, where Waugh was a dominant player at both ends of the ice. Not only is Waugh responsible for the, I should say, Nicholas responsible for the development plan of each Habs prospect, he also runs drills at Habs practice to, to, to sort of do what he has always preached, which is to run drills that simulate NHL action. If you've listened to the show for a while, I did it, I listened to an interview of Adam Nicholas's on another podcast and sort of talked about it, and you should check that out as well. Um, but he, you know, skills coaches where they're just deking through cones and shooting and doing things like that are not, you know, they're, they're, they build muscle memory, which isn't the most important thing to do when you're at the NHL level. You want to be able to take what you've learned in these drills and apply them within an NHL game. And not everything in an NHL game runs like a, a, a skills drill. So it's I'm I'm very excited that Adam Nicholas is part of this hockey team. Um, he's going to be an invaluable resource to the Canadians as they build a winner out of a lot of draft capital and a lot of young hockey players. So the fact that, you know, they've 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 put this much um they put this much attention into that area of their development that they have a guy who's responsible for that. And he has a team in Bouillon and Rob Ramage and Marie-Philippe Poulain. Like there are players, former players there who are ready to then take what Adam Nicholas has created for these prospects and turn it into actual on-ice drills. Um, it's exciting. I, I get excited every time I hear something about Adam Nicholas because I know that he's he's coming from a, a, a really good place. Um, that that interview with him um, that I that I did a few actually it was a very long time ago now um, 
it, it taught me a lot about him, not only as a, a coach, but as a person. And I'm very much a fan of, of you know, that, that kind of guy. Um, after that, the conversation moved into analytics, something the Canadians have not really embraced in past years. Um, Gorton noted that the Canadians were outsourcing analytic research, which he rectified by hiring Chris Boucher and creating an analytics team. Chris Boucher, of course, of SportsLogic, um, comes in and is now you know, part of every decision that's made from a hockey operations standpoint. Gorton emphasized this, that inclusion um, and how it's not just to check a box. I'll, read, I'll take a quote directly from this article. Um, Adam's team is working with Marty's team and working with analytics. Marty's staff is working with analytics. It's not just checking a box. This department has a seat at the table and we trust them and we think their contribution is huge. I don't think that can be understated for this Canadians team. They are, you know, this is an area where they can um, exploit a market inefficiency that's not so much of a market inefficiency anymore. Um, I know Shana Goldman of The Athletic, every time a team makes an analytics hire, she posts an, an updated list of every team who has you know some kind of analytics department. And it's well established throughout the NHL. Um, but the fact that the Canadians are, are now taking this data in-house means that they have information or ways, you know, ways of looking at information that other teams may not have. You know, they're not just going to, you know, like Corsica was a long time ago. War on Ice was another one. They're not a natural stat trick for the, the, you know, the more recent era of analytics. Not that all these teams were going to those places, but you get the idea that there's publicly available inf information that any team can, you know, work with. They now have more information just for themselves, um, which is something that I'm I'm even if you're not a, a big believer in, you know, a lot of the statistics that that analytics or, you know, the, the advanced stats community talks about. It, it's an important tool that the Canadians would be doing themselves a disservice to not, you know, take full advantage of. Um, team nutrition was a, was an issue. Again, I think that's most likely due to the pandemic. Um, when Gorton came in, the team was ordering out for most of their meals. Um, Gorton and Hughes, they get honest feedback from the, the players, the team. Um, and with Jeff, Jeff with Jeff Molson's support, they've employed private chefs and they've renovated the players' lounge. And, you know, they've just created an environment that is very player-focused, player-first. Um, a player resources contact and Alex Case has made a difference for the players. Listening to, I think it was Yuri Slavkovsky in the article and Michael Pazetta, in the article, they were glowing about Alex Case, just being a guy who's like getting extra tickets for their families, making reservations for them in restaurants when they're traveling. Like they, they have a guy who kind of is is put in place to do what Jeff Gorton wants to do with this team, which is to take care of every all the little things outside of hockey so that these guys can just focus on hockey. Um, and lastly, they hired a mental performance coach in Jean-Francois Minard. Uh, he's worked with performers of all different disciplines. They listed he's played, he's worked with Super Bowl champions. He's worked with um, Cirque du Soleil performers. Um, all of these areas where a new person was hired, to me anyway, illustrates what was missing under the last front office. That all of these things that were all of these roles that were created were missing in the last front office, the last administration for the Canadians. Modernizing the Canadians has been a goal for, for Gordon from the very beginning, and he's executing on those promises. I don't think he's done. I think he knows he's not done. The idea of doing all of this for players um, 
creates a really positive environment for them to all be where, you know, all they have to do is focus on hockey. Think of like the videos of like, you know, Kirby Doc at practice when he was mic'd up and how, how much fun they're having at practice, despite the fact that this is a bottom 10 team in the NHL. Like they are, they are, they're creating an environment where, you know, these guys are just worrying about hockey and nothing else is, is going to, you know, get into their game. In a salary cap league, this is where teams like Montreal and Toronto and the Rangers have to take advantage of their financial might. Everyone gets to spend the same amount of money on players, but not every team in the league has private chef money or internalize your own analytics department money. Most teams do, but not all of them. This is a way that you can, you can, you know, um, create that gap between you and the, the second and third class teams in this league. Are these changes already visible in the team's results? Not really. Like I said, this team's seventh last at the moment, which is about where we expected them to be, if not lower. Um, but I think we'll we'll start to see some changes as soon as next season with a crop of prospects being brought into the organization. We'll see how much Nicholas da- his dashboards uh, have done to help prepare players for the NHL. We'll probably see Joshua Waugh next season at the very least in Laval, but he might have a shot to play on the Canadians next year. Um, you know, Lane Hudson working with, with, with Nicholas, does he have what it takes to turn into an NHL player immediately? Um, that one's still sort of a question mark. I wonder if Hudson stays in college for one more year. Um, but as the team starts to add more NHL talent this off season, we'll see what impact, um, Boucher's analytics team will have on the shape of the NHL roster. Are there guys that are in the NHL now that are still on the younger side that that might have some underlying numbers that that look pretty favorable, despite the fact that maybe they're quite maligned um, by their current team? I think of like a Yessi Puyarvi or uh, a Vitaly Kravtsov, both players who I think Canadians fans have have expressed interest in. Um, we're likely going to disagree with a fair amount of what this front office does. This this podcast isn't going to just be me glowing about the front office. I've disagreed with things that they've done in the past. I will continue to do so. But what I can agree on, though, is the process they use to make these decisions. From this conversation with with Gorton and almost every other conversation with either Gorton or Hughes, the Canadians are putting players first. Um, Like I said, the last front office had a very sink or swim approach to building a hockey team. You either make it or you don't. And that's not going to be the case with this group. Um... So I encourage you to read the article if you haven't already. It's worth your time. Um, there's a lot in there I didn't talk about, so go check it out. Um, is this the last thing? Yep, yeah, we got one more thing this week. Shorter episode, I know. Um, on Saturday night, you know, at, at the second intermission, they always do the 32 Thoughts segment with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. Um, Jeff Merrick mentioned that it looks like the Canadians are going to have a quiet trade deadline. Um Others have mentioned, and I believe this is Chris Johnston, um, had mentioned that there is not much interest in Jonathan Drouin at the moment. Um, the Canadians do not seem like they want to move Josh Anderson right now. Um, Joel Edmondson and Sean Monaghan are both injured at the moment. Both have returned to solo skates, but we're still kind of waiting on their return to play with the trade deadline just under two weeks away. Maybe Mike Hoffman goes to a contender. Um Again, this isn't this isn't all from Thirty Two Thoughts. It's sort of just collected from you know a variety of different places. I think a Mike Hoffman trade would actually be a lot make a lot of sense for a, a contending team who can fit that salary on the books. 
Um, maybe if Genny Dodonov goes to a new team, I'm less confident of that. So unless the Canadians make some trades involving players we really don't anticipate them trading, I, I agree, it should be a pretty quiet deadline. Um, the pieces that they would consider trading in Edmondson and Monaghan are injured and might not be of interest to a team who, who's trying to win a Stanley Cup at the moment. Um, a Josh Anderson trade, while I think there's been some steam picked up, and I know Chris Johnson threw cold water on it saying, like, I don't know where all this is coming from. I think this is that's something that play, the fans are trying to, like, talk into being. Um, taking the player entirely out of this equation, pretend it's not Josh Anderson, just pretend it's a contract. There are not many teams who have the ability to take on that salary and that term in the middle of the season and would want to do so. I've I've said this since I think the the off the last off season. A Josh Anderson trade has always seemed like an off season trade where teams have more flexibility. Um, you know, you can go over the cap by ten percent. You don't need to be cap compliant until the end of the summer. Players come off the books in July, so you can just pick up a new player at that point. His play as of late might slightly increase the chance of a mid season trade because he's been scoring a ton. Um, but it's hard to imagine a team making the space for him, I still have no idea how this potential Eric Carlson trade is going to get done. Um, it, it makes no sense to me that they're, they're going to be able to trade a double-digit cap hit. I believe he's a double-digit cap hit. But that's entirely a different story. So what can the Canadians do this offseason, or I should say this trade deadline, if there are no bodies to be moved out immediately? The main asset they can weaponize is cap space, and I know that seems silly because the Canadians have one of the highest payrolls in the NHL, but with the Canadians using LTIR, they have about $4.5 million available at the deadline. I wonder if they try to insert themselves into deals as a third party just to eat salary and pick up draft capital. Think of what just happened with the Minnesota Wild. They stepped into the Leafs and Blues deal that sent Ryan O'Reilly to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they ate 25% of that contract for a fourth round pick it's not the sexiest option at this year's deadline but if they don't want to do anything else this may be the only way they can grab assets um, even if they want to go that route though they need to be careful because eventually you'd hope Monahan is going to be ready to come back Gallagher's probably not done for the year unless they shut him down at the deadline those are big cap hits you would need to reintroduce if you take on too much salary at the deadline you wouldn't be able to bring those players back which isn't the end of the world for the Canadians this season. Like, if they can't bring Monaghan back and they just shut him down, they can't bring Gallagher back and they shut him down. But, you know, for a team that's trying to be player first, it would it would kind of run counter to that, um, to keep a player sideline just because they don't have the cap space to bring them back midseason. You could probably make an argument that whatever injury Gallagher has is chronic and he won't really truly heal from you know, without some massive medical intervention, some kind of surgery, or Monaghan, you can make the same argument. He's been injured for a long time now. With all of that said, a quiet trade deadline would be disappointing, but it's kind of understandable given the environment that the Canadians find themselves in. To reiterate, their big rental is hurt in Sean Monaghan. Their Ben Sherratt type guy is hurt in Joel Edmondson. And if they don't trade Joel Edmondson this deadline, it's not the end of the world. He's under the he's under contract next season. Um, next season is a is a pretty decent rental season for the Canadians. If you know they keep 
Mike Hoffman as well. Both him and Edmondson would be, uh, you know, UFAs at the end of 23-24. Those would be guys that they could trade at the trade deadline next year. Um, So Edmondson's hurt. Monahan's hurt. No one has the space to take on Anderson. And I, I also just really think that none of them are really keen on the price that that Hughes has attached, whether or not that price is reasonable is neither here nor there because we don't know what it is. But the fact that a trade hasn't happened yet um, indicates to me that, that no one has ponied up that price yet. Perhaps there's room for a hockey trade that involves um, a Vitaly Kravtsov, who Jeff Gorton drafted. Um, he's requested a trade from the Rangers. He might be a nice ad for the Canadians if the price is standard for like a project-type player. Yes, Puliarvi is a player in Edmonton who has been on, just on on borrowed time for seemingly three years now with the Edmonton Oilers. They're gonna have to move him eventually, um, just because their their contractual status will not allow them to keep him. It's possible, you know, all of this this insider chatter about them being quiet is all smoke and mirrors. We always seem to believe that that's the case when it comes to our favorite team. Well, no, they're really cooking something up. Trust me. Um, I think Jeff Merrick is likely correct. Not not that I'm doubting his sources or anything, but just looking at it from, you know, their cap-friendly page and their, their injured list, it makes sense for them to be quiet this deadline just because there's not much that they can do. Um. I hate to be a buzzkill, but that's really it. That's all I had for this episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week. We'll set up the trade deadline. Maybe we'll have a trade or two to talk about, um, not only for the Canadians, but around the league so that maybe we can start to figure out what a market looks like for Montreal. Um, But until then, thanks for listening. I'm on Game Over Montreal Tuesday night on the SDPN with uh, Mark Dumont after the Devils game. So if you're listening to this before the Devils game, come hang out in the chat. Um, it's always a good time. And if you're listening to this after the game, all of the videos are still live. You can go and watch it back, um, anytime you want. All right. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page where you can check out the rest of his stuff. All right, guys, I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.